Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Hello, enlightened investors, and welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Alan, and it is great to be with you as we take a look today at mastering affordable housing with mobile home parks. As the last two years, properties have increased considerably, have increased considerably, and affordable housing has become even shorter and shorter in supply. So a very cogent conversation we're going to have today with Frank Rolf, who has been an investor in mobile home parks for almost 30 years and has owned and operated hundreds of mobile home parks during that time. He is currently ranked with his partner, Dave Reynolds, as the fifth largest mobile home park owner in the United States, with around 20,000 lots spread over 25 states. Along the way, Frank began writing about the industry and his books, coupled with those of his partner, Dave Reynolds, involved into a course and a boot camp on mobile home park investing that has become the leader in the niche of commercial real estate. So Frank, take us into the show and share an experience that helped you to be who you are today. Well, you know, probably the experience that turned me into the business person I am today in some regards happened back when I had my billboard company. I got out of college. I started a billboard company from scratch, building billboards along highways and surface streets. And one of my first transactions I was very excited about was I had a deal with a guy where I was going to build on about five retail centers, billboards, worked on it for months, got everything completely done, ready, ready to go forward. And I met with the guy and the guy said, well, you know what? Thanks for doing all that work. But since you've already done all the work, I'll just go do it myself now that you've done everything. (laughs) And I thought to myself, you know what? The world is filled with evil people, but you know, I'm not going to let this guy stand in my way. So from this day forward, I am going to be the most aggressive business guy you ever saw. Because I want to be in charge of my own destiny, not reliant on other people. So since I have put so much reliance on this one deal, I screwed up. I should have, I should have gone for volume. I should have had a lot of deals. And that's where I became more of a volume person. So when I went out of that meeting, I'm very depressed. I thought, well, you know, I'm going to devote my life now to volume. And that's exactly what I, what I tried to do. So that's maybe why today I do things in a bigger way is I'm always working volume. That's, that's, that's an important item to me. Well, that makes a lot of sense, Frank. But there's a lot of ways to go into volume. Why is it that you've chosen mobile home parks? Well, you know, I, I guess mobile home parks kind of chose me. I, was, I built my billboard company up for 14 years. And I sold it to a public company. I was 36 years old, needed to reinvent myself. Didn't want to stay in billboards anymore. I'd done that. So I started just randomly calling some of the hundreds of advertisers that had been on my billboards, asking them about their business, trying to figure out if, gee, is that an industry that intrigues me? And when I got to the guy that I'd built two billboards on on a mobile home park, he sold me his park right there on the phone Hmm. and told me, give me uh, 400 grand, 10,000 down, it's yours. And so that's how I got in the business. If it had been a guy with a Dairy Queen who'd said, I'll sell you my Dairy Queen right now for 400 grand and 10 down, I'd be in the Dairy Queen business probably. Since I got in the mobile home park business back in the 90s though, then through that first property, I started to realize how lucky I had been that I ended up in that ditch. 
So I just kind of randomly fell into it. The What I like about the industry, as you said on the front end, is America has a horrible shortage of affordable housing. Uh, it's only grown worse every every single day. And as a result, our phone rings off the hook when we're out there trying to get customers. We don't really have to go after them. They come after us. It's the reverse of the billboard business. And I'm also fascinated with the size of the moat around the business because when I was in the billboard business, I was competing with everyone constantly, building new billboards or renting their signs. But in mobile home parks, you haven't been able to build these things for about a half a century. And that's by, based on zoning regulations. So it's very comforting when you own a mobile home park to know they can't build one across the street or down the street or even in the city you're in. And so I've grown to really appreciate that as well. So kind of the combination of the moat, exclusivity, and the affordable housing demand, that, that, that's been something that's really made me feel better about the industry every year. Frank, this is just a little bit off topic here, but I'm, I'm fascinated with the billboard experience. I've never had a guest on the show who's been in the billboard business. But I drive down the highways and I see all of these billboards and I think, wow, that would be a great business to be in, in terms of owning the real estate that these billboards are on and owning the billboards. Would that be the case or, or not? I mean, I wouldn't well, want to be in the in the business of making the billboards. Yeah, here here's probably, billboards are a federally regulated industry, which most people do not realize. It's one of the few that still remains regulated by the U.S. government. So, you know, they did trucking, they did airlines, but they they deregulated them later. Billboards have been regulated continuously since 1960. Mm-hmm. And the problem is you can't, what well, once the spot is taken, is taken forever. Mm-hmm. So the only way you can get into the business today, as it was even back in my era, back in the 80s, is you had to press farther out, right? And so... I was doing billboards in Dallas for Worth, for example, but my billboards were located mostly in outlying suburban markets and exurban markets mm-hmm. because I had missed the shot. To build in, in Dallas for Worth, you had to be building them in the 60s and the 70s. Today, now 40 years from when I was doing it, you'd have to be out basically in small towns. So, you know, can you make money building wooden billboards in small towns? Yeah, you can get very high rates of return. 50% is not uncommon. But you'll have to get a lot of them because the average wooden sign only makes two or 3,000 a year. Yeah. So you'd have to have a fairly substantial portfolio. But those steel monopoles that you drive by and you think, well, I'd be cool to own those, you, you kind of missed your timing by about 50 years. Yeah, so if you own them or you inherit them, you're in a good shape. But <laughs> Exactly correct. Well, let's get back to, to, to mobile home parks. They have a lot of attractive things in conjunction with them. So tell us about some of the most attractive things in conjunction with them, and we're going to get into the downside of mobile home parks, but let's start off with what's most attractive about them. Okay, well, the most attractive thing, probably number one are the megatrends, because you've got 10,000 baby boomers retiring a day in downsizing. That's, that's good for mobile home parks. You have insanely high and ever higher single family home and apartment prices. So that's good for mobile home parks. And you have the decline of the U.S. economy, which that's good for mobile home parks. So we're on the right side of pretty much all megatrends. What makes the industry kind of strange is we rent land. We don't do the structures. We try not to do the structures. Sometimes you do to fill your vacant lots. So it's a strange business because our customers therefore own the home. So they're like stakeholders in our business. So we kind of need each other. They need, they need the land for their mobile home and we need the mobile home to get rent. So as a result, it's much lower maintenance management than typical real estate. So if I have an apartment complex, I have to mow all the yards and paint the building and make repairs. And in our industry, I don't because I just rent little pieces of land for people to do those things. 
So that that's that's one thing that's unusual. Another item which is is a growing trend that most people do not realize is the decline in the quality of your class B, C, D apartments. Because as as those fall apart, people become increasingly unhappy, looking for an alternative that's 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 less expensive even. And we fit that bill, which makes our demand higher now than we've we've really ever seen. COVID has helped because it's refocused people on wanting to have privacy. And in a mobile home park, there's no one knocking on your walls or ceilings. You have your own yard parked by your front door. So that that's that's been a help. The industry has lot, lots of really positive traits about it. It's just for the average person, they have no idea what those what those positive traits are, because unless you're in the industry, you just never really think about it, right? It's it, it suffers from a, from a horrible stigma and not not likely to break out of that stigma for decades to come. From what I also understand on the positive side of this is that mobile home parks are amongst the lowest in terms of commercial default rates. They have some of the right. lowest in the industry. Yep. There's two reasons for that. The, the first reason it has such a low loan default rate is our customer base is very stable. The average tenancy of a mobile home park resident is 14 years. Mm. So compared to an apartment, which is about a year. But the other reason is that because of the industry's strange stigma, banks have never been very aggressive on the lending requirements. So whereas if you want to go buy a giant office building that's all kinds of pretty, the bank might bend over backwards and give you a lower amount down or who knows what. In our industry, because we're trailer parks, they've always stuck with a very standard formula of 20 to 30% down. And since they've never gone backwards from that or relaxed those standards, when times get tough, park owners typically don't default because our loans are properly constructed. And so that's another reason, probably. Yeah. Well, a lot of positives to them. I guess another positive, at least from a purchaser's perspective, is that many of them are owned by mom and pop operators. And there are, I suppose, or at least the perception is that there are fewer in institutions investing in mobile home parks. Is that still the case today or is that is that trend shifting? Yeah, well, the, the stats are you've got 44,000 mobile home parks in the U.S., roughly. And if you take the top 100 owners of parks, number one being Sam Zell with ELS, which is a REIT, number 100, I think, being Abraham Anderson, who's a private individual. And you add all their parks together from Sam Zell. He has about 340 parks, roughly. Sun Communities is number two. They've got about the same. And But if you add everybody up, from number one all the way to 100, it comes out to about 4,000 parks. So of the 44,000 parks, about 4,000 are what we would call institutionally owned, and about 40,000 are still owned by moms and pops. Now, some of those moms and pops may be your old, you know, variety of the 70, 80-year-old, sometimes original builder, or maybe individuals who have bought from that person. But it's, a, it's very fragmented. It's still predominantly moms and pops. So we are the least aggregated of all real estate. I think storage is three to four times more consolidated than we are. And that's just the way it's been. And there are more private equity groups now entering. You've got Carlisle Group. You've got Blackstone, almost all the big names, Palo. But still, we have not had anyone come forward kind of as the public storage of the mobile home park industry, right? Mm -hmm. Public storage is in in the meat and potatoes of storage. And so they've, they've bought everything they can humanly buy. We don't have that yet. We, we, Sam Zell, who is the largest, he is focused strictly on kind of your retirement communities, coastal retirement communities, which are a tiny subset of all mobile home parks. We don't have anyone who's been doing any form of aggregation of the, of the meat and potatoes of it. Well, interesting. Well, Frank, you had talked about the stigma. And as you drive across the country, I think you can understand why there is 
a major stigma with mobile home parks because a lot of those mom and pop parks are have been owned by 30, 40 years or so. There's not much building, as you say, and they haven't been kept up. They are just really trashy, trashy places. Do you find opportunity in that? What's it like purchasing a property like that and trying to turn it around? Sure. Well, you know, when we're out there looking at mobile home parks, there's five traits we focus on. The infrastructure, the density, the age of the homes, the location, then just the economics. And a lot of the properties you drive by that look terrible to you, they have problems that can be solved because some things I can solve. I can, I can paint homes. I can put skirting on them. I can mow grass. I can redo the common area, but then there's things I can't fix. And the worst one, I can't fix location. So there's some locations that are absolutely hopeless. I can't fix density in as much as if the lots are too small to hold a modern mobile home. There's not much I can do. I can maybe combine two lots together, but I'd half the size of the park. I can typically fix infrastructure. It's expensive, but I could theoretically put in new roads, re, re, you know, replace the water, replace the sewer system. The age of homes, I, I can't typically fix, but it may change over time because you don't want to have a park that's filled with old flat-roofed homes. You want a mixture of the old and the new. And then you have the economics, which that's the, the number one most variable piece. So if I have a park that's failing in a lot of the other categories, I can make that back if the price is really, really cheap. All right. And that affords me the capital to go in and make those other changes. But there are many parks you drive by that you're best off just letting them die because based on the location, there's, there's nothing left to revive, but we do turnarounds all the time. That's been our business since the onset is we buy horrible rundown properties, but in great locations. And then we bring them back to life. That's really been our business model. What do you consider to be a really poor location? There's two locations that work in our industry. One is a safe urban area. Can't just be urban, it has to be safe. So you, when you live there, you have to feel safe in your home, safe walking to your car. And, but the predominant style for mobile home parks is our upscale suburban areas, areas with good schools, nice shopping, safety, all of the things that everyone wants in life. And you want to provide the low cost detached housing alternative to single family in those nice neighborhoods. The kinds that don't work are unsafe urban locations. And then the other are downscale suburban locations because, you know, people who live in mobile home parks, they're, they're not wired any differently than everyone else. They just have lower income, but they all want the same stuff. They want their kids to go to pharmacy school. They want to go to the nice restaurant and they want to live in nice places. So what you want to provide, you know, in mobile home park locations, it's easy to know whether you have a winner or a loser by asking yourself, would you live there? And if the answer is no, I'd never live there. Well, then it's not, probably not going to work because if you don't want to live there, mobile home park people don't want to live there much either. Is there a population size that you would not be interested in, in terms of the urban and suburban areas? Well, we, the industry tries to steer away from metro populations under 100,000. And if you're going to go under 100,000, you have to do so knowing there's greater risk in it because number one, you're less attractive to lenders. And the other problem is, as you get progressively smaller, your employment base becomes smaller and the, and the market becomes more fragile. So if you're looking at a town that has a 20,000 county population, for example, you probably are looking at only a handful of large employers. And if one of those goes out of business or moves their plant, it could have wreak havoc on the housing market in the whole town. So 100,000 metro population is defined by best places. That is that is kind of the the gold standard of mobile home park 
population size. Frank, you have a lot to offer, educational programs as well as a wealth of wisdom and experience. How can our viewers and listeners get in touch with you to take advantage of that? Sure. Well, you can you can find everything about me if you go to the website, mobilehomeuniversity.com or, or more simply mhu.com. You've got all of my hundreds and hundreds of hours of recordings and, and different things I've done there, millions of words in print, various articles. We offer books on the industry, courses on the industry. We even offer a thing called the boot camp on the industry. So there's, there's no shortage of me if you want my information on mobile home parks. I have a podcast as well. And so I, it's not hard to find me. You just go to mhu.com or mobilehomeuniversity.com. I'm, I'm all over that. And it's very, very easy to navigate. Well, Frank, you say that you shy away from many, any populations of less than 100,000. But there are thousands of communities across the country with populations less than that who have significant need for affordable housing. Why are those communities off of your list? Well, they're not off our list. We, we own in areas as small as five and 10,000 people. Hmm. Uh, in other words, the probably just people have to be aware as you go under a hundred thousand, it, it becomes riskier and you got to understand the risk. And then you have to make sure you're in a market that justifies that risk. So, you know, when you're, in a, when you're in a hundred thousand metro population, now the town can be any size, as long as it's in the metro. When you have a hundred thousand metro, you've got a very active chamber of commerce. You got a lot of employers. And so since the metro is your job driver, those parks will always seemingly do well. So there's always people moving in jobs happening. When you get smaller, the first thing you want to look for is you want to look for high home prices. If you're in an area of Colorado, for example, with 5,000 people, you'll still do okay with a park because in Colorado, the single family home prices, even in remote areas are typically in the 200s, 300s, 400,000s of dollars. Mm-hmm. And so let's assume, uh, give me an example. We have a mobile home park in Riodosa, New Mexico. Riodosa is not a very big market. It is a mostly second home market for a lot of people. And when you go into Riodosa, you got it's you're in a valley and then there's mountains all around you. And you look up on the mountains and you'll see all these really nice houses set into the mountains. And those houses all cost 200, 300, 400 and up. But then the valley, you have all of the services for the people living in those houses, right? So you've got the McDonald's and the Burger Kings and the grocery stores. Well, those people have nowhere to live. So we have a mobile home park right there in that valley and it serves all the people who work in those businesses that serve the people who live in the mountains. But the, the people there, they can't afford to live in any of the single family home products. So even though it's a very small market, our park stays are completely full because there's nowhere else to live. Now, if you instead were looking at a small town in a place like Mississippi, for example, and the single family homes are only $40,000, then there's no way your park will ever work because... I mean, the mortgage on a $40,000 home would be less than your lot rent. So there's a lot of factors that tie into whether or not you can go into that smaller market, make it successful. The single family home price is probably a number one. But even then, the way the economies are built in some of these small towns are different. There's some small towns, for example, that their main employer is a hospital or a college or a community college. And, you know, those kind of industries are recession proof. So whenever you have education or healthcare or government in a small town, you're probably fine. The scary towns are things like Duncan, Oklahoma, where you have only one big employer, which is Halliburton. And if Halliburton were to shut or move or lay off, 
the whole the whole town would be destroyed because every business ties to Halliburton. Every Dairy Queen, Motel Six is all ties to Halliburton. So that's 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 again, we we own in smaller markets. We have nothing against it, but people need to be aware of what that risk is. You can't you can't say, oh well. This mobile home park in this town of 10,000 looks just like that one in the town of 200,000. You know, that isn't what makes it work or not work. There's a lot more to it than that. Yeah. Interesting. You mentioned Rio Dosa. When I was in high school, we were living in New Mexico and we skied at Rio Dosa several times. I don't know what it's like now. They used to have a really lovely little ski resort there. As yeah, well, of still course, a nice place. Still yeah. a nice place. Rio Dosa Downs is there, I guess, the world leading quarter horse racetrack mm-hmm. in the world there. Beautiful place, really is surprising. I mean, it, it's desert all around there. And then you come to the, the mountain, the yep. little mountain range there. It's, it's a lovely little there. Interesting to look at this. I, I have not, uh, I have, I had a, a small mobile home park at one time and uh, it was major, major headaches in conjunction with that, but I didn't, didn't buy it correctly. At any rate, one of the major concerns I have with mobile home parks is the utilities. Oftentimes, septic is, I mean, sewer is on septic, private wells rather than community wells. How do you deal with that? Do you even consider purchasing properties that are not on community utilities? Sure. Well, in our portfolio, we're probably 90 something percent of municipal water and sewer. And we've always been big fans of people buying on what what is called city water and city sewer. However, in some parts of America, it's very hard to get city water and city sewer. Water, not so much because water is pressurized. So you can run water over a mountain, but sewer is a big problem. And then when you're in looking at parks and states, they have a lot of topography, Pennsylvania and Ohio and different places. The cities don't have the capital to build massive sewer complexes tunneling through mountains. So a lot of times, if you want to buy in those areas, you you have to go with a private utility and sewer, but sometimes you get both well, well water and private sewer. The key item is what kind you have. The, the wells, we have very few stories of wells gone bad. Wells, over time, they need maintenance, but even to rebuild a well from scratch is maybe 50 grand. The bigger issue is the sewer. And, you know, you've got several options. You have what's called the packaging plant, which is a miniature sewage treatment plant that the park owner owns. And the problem with those is they work really well, but they cost a fortune to build and maintain. They cost up to a million dollars to build. They typically have about a 50-year life. And when you buy them today, they're already 60 years old typically. And so you're taking a horrible gamble. You have another thing that's called Lagoon that's outlawed in some states, probably outlawed in all states eventually, just a giant cesspool. All the sewage goes into a pit and it evaporates. And we don't advocate anyone buying those. And then you have septic, which you mentioned. The septic in some parts of America works fine and dandy because the soil continues to gobble up all the sewage that goes into the earth. Other parts of America, based on changing weather patterns, it doesn't want to do it anymore. And if your leach fields get oversaturated, it's incredibly expensive and scary. So for, for most people buying their first park, I would say definitely try and go city water, city sewer. If you're familiar with the industry and you've got several under your belt, or you're willing to take the gamble and you understand the risk, then you could do private water, private sewer, but you're correct. It's a very scary thing for most people. Most people that, you know, you're getting outside their comfort zone enough to buy a mobile home park to begin with, but to buy a mobile home park coupled with being a private water and sewer operator is probably more than what most people can handle. And, there, and there's two more lists on the pile there, which are what's called master metered electric and master metered gas, in which the park owner is effectively both the gas and the power company. So the worst possible construction, you could be your own private water, sewer, power, and gas company, which would be terrifying and should be terrifying 
because no one would want to ever do that. But you're correct. Yeah, private utilities, that, that is something that many people do not take seriously enough. And they definitely do need to worry about that stuff. Yeah, that little park I owned was on Master Meter. And the municipal water and sewer, I mean, even though it was available in that area, they would not, they would not meter the units singly. They refused to do it. Right. Yeah. So it, it was a, a good lesson. I do hope to get back into mobile home parks, but on a much larger scale than that. One other question I have, I, I understand Champion has a program where they will put houses on the lots, new houses on the lots, and you can turn around and sell those uh, to your perspective future tenants. Is that, is that the case? Is, do they have a program such as that? Yes. Champion has a program that's called Revive is the name of that program. But the most, the most dominant program in the industry comes out of Clayton Homes subsidiary, which is called 21st Mortgage, which has a program called Cash. I forgot what the acronym stands for. I think it's community. I don't even know what it is, but it doesn't stand for word like not money cash. And in that program, they will advance you 100% of the cost of the home, including installation. So they'll, they'll floor plan the park as though you were a dealer. And then they'll underwrite the mortgages. So you can literally fill lots with no out-of-pocket capital. The other programs out there require typically 10 to 20% down, whether it's Revive or it's Legacy Home has a program, I think 80% finance of their homes. There's other people doing the cash program. There's a group called PEP, Performance Equity Partners, who also does that that program kind of like cash, not identically. But yes, that's how a lot of people who filled lots over these last few years was using one of those programs. And nicer homes than what they could probably get otherwise as well. Correct. So it sounds like a, a good option there for many operators. Mm-hmm. Enlightened investors, it's been a delight being with you once again today. And Frank, thank you for taking us through mobile home parks and what it takes to operate them and how it is that they can be a viable investment for our investors here. Enlightened investors, I look forward to being with you our next time. And Frank, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance, brought to you by Steve Talker Capital, a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Steve Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. Steve Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. For resources to develop your financial independence, connect with us at stevetalker.com.